0: Hey, what is going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It is October 28th, uh, 2023, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can catch me on X at Jason underscore O-T-C, or you can email me Jason at overthecap.com. I am joined this week by Nelly the Bunny. Nelly, hello. Nelly's snacking. Um, So I guess we'll get some insight from Nelly, I am sure, later on. Adjust that camera a little bit. Hopefully the camera works. I think we got the microphone figured out, I hope. Uh, for this one. Otherwise, this is gonna get lost in the, um, internet at some point if, uh, the microphone dies out on me on this one. Um, had a little problem with the camera the other week, too. Uh, I was on a call and, uh, got all crazy. It seems to be okay right now, so we'll see if that keeps going. But if not, the screen will work, and uh, I'll just click the camera off if, uh, my little picture there just goes, uh, completely out of focus, uh beer of the night tonight we've got the cape may uh ipa let's see if we can get that one on there Uh, i've had this one plenty of times before they didn't have like a good selection this week um i went to the local liquor store uh by us usually usually they have a pretty good amount of stuff maybe i just went a little bit later uh almost seemed like they just didn't get a shipment in so not a lot to choose from this week so just ended up going with the uh cape may one i thought that was a uh Good choice. Um, if you're in the New Jersey area, you can check this one out. I think they have distribution pretty much all throughout New Jersey at this point. Uh, certainly in South Jersey, but uh, you know, we, I see this all the time up by us, so I'm pretty sure they have a uh, pretty big distribution on this one. Um, kids finish their football season, so I guess we're a little bit excited about that. We'll do some, uh, I guess, some off-season lessons or something like that. Um, it was a lot of kids, uh, so it was a a little bit of a long season. It was tough for, I think, everybody to get through. But you know, for the people who volunteer and do all the coaching and everything else, you know, that's a, it's kind of a thankless job. Um, I think a lot of it. And uh, Jacob seemed to have a good time. They do have a game on Monday, but I don't think he plays in that one. So we'll probably go and watch. Uh, but I, I think, as far as things go, today was the last day of his little football season. So um, that one is done, and we'll see how. Uh, how he does with that next year. But he seemed to like it. So I, I think we'll keep doing that. Um, you know, he didn't know how he would necessarily do with tackle. Uh, since he did flag before this couple of years. And this is the first year doing tackle. So um, I think it went okay. So that's at least good. So get that out of the way. Now we'll get to the NFL stuff. Um, and, you know, just kind of what I wanted to talk about. And really, this is something, this is a topic that I wanted to do last week. And... I didn't get a chance to do the podcast, uh, the, the way the schedule worked out, it just wasn't going to happen. So, um, just ended up kind of throwing it off to the side. And, you know, really what I wanted to do was talk about the new Orleans saints because the saints, you know, they, they haven't been playing well. Um, you know, the, the team has not done too good this season. Uh, defense has been decent offense, not as much, uh, On days when the offense scores, the defense doesn't do well. And during the game, uh, this was probably the Thursday game, a couple people were just, you know, putting out tweets just on the stuff with their cap room and some other things. So I just decided to jump in there and say, well, you know, if the Saints actually went and cut every single player that has a positive savings next year on their team... Um, let me blow this up. I have this minimized for stuff that I do. We'll go back to regular size on that. Um, if they were to do that next year, they'd only create about 15 million in cap room, I think was the number. Um, and that's basically because if you look right here, um, sorry if you see me squinting a little bit here, took the contacts out. They're kind of driving me uh, crazy a little bit here. Um, but if you look in this column here, what you'll see is, you know, basically a lot of numbers in parentheses, you'll see a lot of numbers, um, that don't indicate a positive cap savings. And most of the players have a very minimal cap savings if you cut them, um, you know, as you go up and down their roster, because they've sunk so much money into these players over time, um, they say, well, that doesn't really make that much of a difference, and you know, you can certainly argue that, that, uh, you know, it doesn't make too much of a difference. But when you're not really a good football team and the trend has been negative for pretty much post Drew Brees, right? It's been a negative trend for New Orleans. It's a bad thing when you're locked into a aging roster. The Saints have, I think it's the oldest roster in the NFL. If it's not the oldest, then it's the second oldest Uh, I would guess by playing time, they're probably the oldest roster in the NFL. Um, A lot of decisions have been made based on kind of salary cap stuff, like Michael Thomas coming back this year. That was pretty much a salary cap decision. You know, the guard coming back this year, you know, that was kind of a salary cap decision. Um, But, you know, you're not in a position where when people say we need to begin to rebuild, you're not in a position where you can rebuild. And,. You know the the tweet that I put out got a lot of traction, and I'm sure some people could have done some numbers. Oh, you're wrong on that. It's it's 20 million that they can create. Uh, it, it was just the net savings, right? You have to replace everybody that you cut, you know, with a minimum salary guy, which I think next year is a 795. I think is the the number that it is. So you have to have basically more than 800 thousand dollars in savings to actually bring a positive impact in some way, shape, or form to the team. Um, you know, and then the other the other th- reply that you get is you say this every year, what difference does it mean? I don't even know what that was. I don't know what I was saying. I wasn't saying that they're, they're not going to get out of their salary cap situation. I was just making a point that they can only create about $15 million in cap room. They're $85 million over the cap if they get to 51 players in the offseason. If they don't, and sometimes teams that are in really bad cap shape don't do that. They don't get to 51 players. Um, So right now, based on where their roster stands, they're about 72 over. That's at 42 players. If they get up to 51, they'd be at about 85 over, 84 over. Uh, So that's kind of where that number came from. Nobody's saying the Saints are not going to be compliant with the salary cap next year. Nobody's even saying that the Saints can't go out and sign a player or two if they want to. The question is, why? you know, are you making some of these moves? Um, you know, or why have you made these moves? I'm not going to say, right, right now, it's almost like a position where you're, you're kind of stuck with what you have to do, right? You you have to comply with the salary cap at some point. Um, so you, you're kind of stuck with it. But at some point, you, you have to just be realistic about your team and make those decisions, which are probably kind of painful, and say that, okay, right now, I mean, the Saints are basically a seven-win football team, right? They're, they're going to be like a seven-and-ten kind of team. And they're playing in a terrible division. You know, that, for all you know, that might be good enough to make the playoffs in some way, shape, or form. You know, there's plenty of time to, um, you know, play against more teams within the division and, you know, get into first place. They're not far out, I think, from it. Um, so, you know, but that doesn't make a success, you know, successful season. Um you know, I, I don't think the Buccaneers getting into the playoffs last year was looked at as, as, a, as a successful season. If the Saints somehow crept in, I don't think that would be a successful season. Unless, you know, you make some noise in the playoffs. Um, but, you know, again, it just gets down to the fact that you, you've kind of pigeonholed yourself in because you haven't been willing to make some of the decisions that you've needed to make over the last couple of years. You know, and I, I think a perfect example of it, just, just to bring up a um, small thing here, it's like, you see this, you know, so you got Tyra Matthew. you know, good football player, right? Um, he was a, a player that was on the Kansas City Chiefs. He was an important part of their team. He was an important part of their Super Bowl teams, playoff teams, good safety. You can see our valuation comes in at about $7 million, which is, you know, solid play for safety. Um, some weeks higher, some weeks lower, uh, which is, you know, how he goes there. And, you know, overall, I mean, the numbers on his contract aren't bad. Um, you know, nine million dollars a year, you know, taking at face value, that's not that bad. But, you know, they sign him and he's thirty years old. You look at Kansas City, who clearly is in a Super Bowl window. They were not a team coming out of a Super Bowl window. And they let him walk. Why do they let him walk? Because it doesn't make sense for them to continue to chase and chase and chase with the same roster. What you're trying to do in their case, because you've got Patrick Mahomes there, and I know some people are going to say, well, Kansas City's kind of cheap. And you know, maybe that plays a role too. They, they don't have the same budget that some of the other teams do. But you know, they're looking at this as like, okay, we're going to be competitive because of Mahomes. Like you're... You're not going to fall off a cliff. You're going to be competitive with him. What could make you non-competitive even with Mahomes is if you start getting a number of these players who are in their 30s that start to get injured, taking up too much cap room, and you're not developing players underneath them to replace them, it's like that doesn't do anything to help you over the long term. And you know, I think Kansas City did a very good job of kind of getting away from that. The Saints, on the other hand, have pretty much bought into, you know, getting older. Um, you know, the Vikings at times, I think, have done that, uh, you know, with the, the Harrison Smith deal. And, you know, they, but they did let Adam Thielen walk um, this past year. But, you know, it, it's like little things like that. You know, if, if you're the Saints and you're a Saints fan and, you know, one of the things that you have to look at with it, look at your coach. Look at Look at your former head coach. Right. Well, what does Sean Payton do? Sean Payton leaves the organization because he saw the writing on the wall. Um, Payton comes from a old school system. And I know right now everyone is pretty negative on Payton. He's done a terrible job out in Denver. But, you know, he, he comes from kind of that Bill Parcells kind of system, that Bill Parcells line of thinking. And if you go back to Bill Parcells and his history he was kind of like the hired gun type coach once the the time ran out with the Giants. And, you know, even when he left the Giants, it was kind of the same thing. You see yourself as having kind of reached a peak. And you don't want to go through that process of, you know, rebuilding a team. Um, You know, when Parcells came into these other teams like the Patriots and the Jets, You know, he had an ability to go and buy certain players. You had certain picks at the top of the draft. You kind of knew that you had an ability to maybe make these things turn around a little bit on the quicker side. In Peyton's case, you know, he has that one year post-breeze where they've been 10 games that year with, uh, I think it was Winston, at quarterback. And, you know, I remember saying that Peyton should have been considered for coach of the year. I don't even know if they made the playoffs that year, just off the top of my head. Um, I said he should have been, you know, recommended for coach of the year because, what he was doing with that roster, which was not a great roster at that point, was almost a miracle. Um, I thought it was very similar to, you know, I'm going to use the Parcells reference again, but to what Bill Parcells did with the Jets in 1999 when Vinny Testaverde went down. And, you know, you've got this injury, it deflates you. And in his case, you know, they made a mistake playing a quarterback named Rick Myra. Um, you know, they when they finally made a QB change... The Jets actually played about as well as any team in the league down the stretch. They fell one, pretty much one game short of making the playoffs. Um, I think they finished that year maybe eight wins. I don't remember, seven or eight. Uh, but, you know, if they had won one more, they probably would have gotten in the playoffs. And that was a team that maybe could have made some noise. Parcells very quickly was like, okay, that's it, I'm done. And that led to the, you know, 24 hours of Belichick as coach and then the Al Gross season. Uh, but Sean Payton was the same thing. It was like, I see the writing on the wall. I did the best possible job that I could do with this team. It wasn't good enough. And we're going to go in the wrong direction now. I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to be part of having to deal with the salary cap fallout. I don't want to deal with the, the trying to replace Drew Brees. I don't want to deal with any of it. I'm out. I'm going to go go to the booth. And then when somebody else offers me a job, I'm going to take it. So you don't have to look any further than just him to get an idea for um, you know, when we look at the Saints and we say there's going to be issues. Now, the comments that come back are things like, well, you're saying that you can't cut these players pre-June 1, but what about post-June 1? Yeah, you could start to make some moves post-June 1, but that still doesn't get you compliant with the salary cap. So even if you see players that you can release post-June 1, Number one, you don't get that cap relief until after June. But number two, by the time you restructure your deals to be salary cap compliant, you're really not going to be able to cut those players post-June 1 anymore because you're going to have to take their salary and prorate it um, You know, to, to get any kind of cap relief. Now, they can do some tricks maybe with some players to, to try to, to do that. Um, realistically, when they did some of their restructures this year... They probably should have been studying a little bit more, I think, what the Eagles and the uh, uh, Browns are doing with some of these options. And they probably should have converted um, salaries for certain players that maybe they would consider trading or maybe players they actually would consider releasing as a post-June. They probably should have put options in there that would have allowed them to, quote-unquote, restructure a contract. But at the same time, release the player and not really have to deal with that kind of salary cap fallout um, from the acceleration of those bonuses. That would have been a way that you you probably could have done that. I would think at this point that's too late um, to kind of go in there and start doing that with a couple of players. But again, I'm not even sure what players they would have done that with. Um, you know, just just you know, just off the top of my head, you know, I'm I'm not sure who. Um, who they would have done that with. But, you know, the, the overwhelming response that comes from the Saints fans on it is, you know, our general manager, salary cap guy, and you know, Kai does a good job with what he's got to do here. Um, you know, so you don't want to make that a reflection on anybody. It's just that, you know, you say, well, they always get out of it. Of course they always get out of it. Everybody gets out of it. The problem is you, you have to look at what happens to your team sometimes in the long term. Uh, the Saints, a couple of years ago, more than a couple of years ago at this point, you know, they they wasted a couple of years of Drew Brees in his prime. I think that was pretty much a given. Um, they went out there and they signed some really bad contracts. They signed some players who weren't very good. And it just kind of blew up on them. That was the Jairus the Bird, the uh, Junior Gallette, the, um, uh, who was the tight end? Uh, tight end, he probably came a little bit after that. Uh, but, you know, it was just player after player after player, and they didn't hit on any of them, so some of that was just being unlucky. The dead money that they had those years was astronomical, and it was basically an entire season of salary cap, and they led the league in dead money three years running, and it put them in a position where they couldn't be competitive. So they've kind of tried to get away from leading the league in dead money. Um, You know, this year they are at... You know, they can't be that high on the list uh 32 you know so slightly above average not not in a bad position at all um you know they they are they've tried to avoid doing that but in doing that they they've done all these restructures and the thing with the salary cap when you want to say that the salary cap is fake this is where people get confused the salary cap is absolutely fake when we're talking about the short term, right? When when we're talking about what a team can do in a given season, the salary cap is fake. Like the Buffalo Bills this year. They should be ridiculous numbers over the cap, but they've done a lot of maneuvering with their contracts to be under the cap this year. And, you know, just making that one last-ditch effort with this uh this group of players um let me just throw the cap space in there you know the bills uh where are the bills they just had to restructure to get to four five you know because they they were so low you know look at the giants with like a million in cap room um the Broncos broncos choose to chose to be here um you know steelers you know the eagles um you know that that's another team that pushes a lot but you know in the short term yeah you can do it because you can go in there and you can move those numbers, and Saints are a great example of it, right? They they went in the last season $65 million or so over the cap into the offseason. They create enough space to go out there and uh, bring in Derek Carr. They um, make enough space to bring in you know, a couple other guys through free agency. And you say, oh, well, the salary cap doesn't mean anything. They sign these guys. What the salary cap does is the salary cap provides a long-term deterrent. Because if you constantly go in there and utilize these kind of strategies to um, manipulate your salary cap and, you know, give it one last hurrah, one last shot, one last try, eventually you get to the point where there's nothing else that you can do. And that's usually when the team falls apart. Now, one of the things that's different with the Saints is their general manager has been there forever. So he's not going to lose his job. So it's a little bit different than some of these other teams in the sense that he probably has the leeway to continue to do this and do this and do this and keep your fingers crossed that one year it works. You know, when they got through that, those issues years ago, it's because they had that great draft class in um, 2017, I think was that draft class, you know, and that basically salvaged them. Now those players have all kind of gotten old, along with these other players that they've kept in that run. Um, You know, you're getting older and older, and you're not really replacing. You made bad decisions in the draft, right? You traded away a first-round pick to draft a tackle. Why? Because you said, well, that was going to help you win now, which doesn't make any sense at all. But that was the logic that you went with. But with other teams that have basically utilized this strategy, what's occurred is they've gotten eventually to the point where it's bumps in the road to where the general manager gets fired once the general manager gets fired then they start to just clean the roster out and you know you, you look at some of these teams that are here um the buccaneers are kind of going through it now but it's with the same general manager they they kind of opted into it uh, same with the rams you know the rams are going through it they're kind of there uh, the bills are going to have to make some tough decisions But you look at Atlanta. You know, Atlanta's a team that pushed and pushed and pushed. And eventually it just blows up on you. And Atlanta had had gone through a couple of years, even after Thomas Dimitrov was gone, where it's like you're dealing with the fallout of, you know, quadrupling down on Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and, um, you know, just players that you shouldn't be doing that with. And then you, you you just end up with a mess. You just can't move forward. The Panthers with Dave Gettleman, and really, it's not just Dave Gettleman. That was an organizational thing before he was there and after he was there. You know, you, you double down on your Jonathan Stewart's and D'Angelo Williams, and they probably predated Gettleman. Um, you know, and Cam Newton just kind of fell apart. But you know, all these different players that were there, uh, you know, your linebackers and everyone else, It's just double down, triple down, quadruple down, and then it just hits a breaking point where you look at your team and it's like, we can't go north or south. We can't go east or west. We are just, we're just stuck. Green Bay is going through that, you know, where you're just kind of stuck for a period of time. Um, The Bears, you know, when Pace was there, now Pace got bumped out, and so they went into that period where you know they're just like well we're going to take our lumps and we're just going to deal with it so they they had to take a year that was total fallout um Raiders you know they've been there The, the Raiders the Raiders are the prime example and this is why a lot of teams have gotten afraid of doing this too much the Raiders were the prime example and it's probably the closest comparison that you could come to with the the current Saints the Raiders were a team that pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and continued to sign bad veteran player after bad veteran player after bad veteran player. The Raiders were essentially a retirement home. Uh, I think Warren Sapp once even said something along those lines. Like, you know, you, you, you played in Tampa Bay to win championships. You know, you played at this spot to, you know, make a Hall of Fame career. You went to the Raiders to get a paycheck. And that's what that team was in a good part of the 2000s, all the way through about 2013. And when McKenzie came in there as general manager, you know, my first thought was, okay, he's just got to tear the Band-Aid off and he doesn't do it. I'm like, man, you know, they're doing the same things. But you start to realize, as you look at it more and more, what choice did he have? Like, nobody had ever done that kind of, just complete roster teardown before. And... It was at the point where, if they did that, <coughs> you might not have even been able to field much of a football team. So he did a couple of restructures and kind of kept the team around for one more year. And then the next year just basically blew everything up. Yeah, you know, they, they didn't get much more out of that. You know, they had the one playoff season with Carr, and Carr got hurt, um, you know, and whatnot. But, you know, the Raiders, those, those Raiders of like, 2005 or so to 2015 I mean they they were a example of just what happens long term when you screw up your cap. Now the Raiders had it harder than the Saints because the Raiders had to deal with the old contract system for the rookies but you know it was still the same kind of thing. Uh, You know the Cardinals right here on this list. You know they're another team that right now is dealing with a lot of the salary cap fallout uh, that came from the last general manager, um, you know. But if you keep your general manager in there, he's probably going to keep, you know, pushing forward, pushing forward, pushing forward. So I wanted to go back and I want to look at the the restructures around the league, um, you know, in the last uh, five seasons. So since twenty nineteen, the Saints have restructured forty three player contracts. They've Paid out about three hundred seventy-eight million dollars in bonuses, so that that's money that they've converted from, um, you know, paragraph five salary, roster bonus, occasionally maybe a workout bonus, um, into something that prorates, and they've created about two hundred eighty million dollars. So that's the amount of money that's been pushed to the future. That's more than a a year salary cap. You know, you look at where this is relative to other teams. You look at the Eagles. You know, the Eagles are number two at 146. And the Eagles are known for pushing money and pushing money and pushing money. Now, in the future, if we include options in this, the Eagles are going to soar up there, too. But at the moment, those things really haven't come into play for them. Um, You look at Dallas at 136. The Buccaneers, 134. And the Buccaneers we see it right now right they're dealing with the fallout you're you know you're post Tom Brady you're gutting your team you're getting through some of these contracts that are there as you deal with Baker Mayfield as your quarterback and you know you're just trying to be competitive um, the Packers you know they created a lot of room to try to do stuff with Aaron Rodgers which you know didn't work out at the end the Chiefs who have been very successful 49ers who have been very successful. Rams, who were successful one year, not so much uh, last year. Um, Raiders, who have been a mess. Browns have been, eh. Uh, Bills have been pretty successful. Panthers, terrible. Vikings, so-so. Dolphins, so-so. Falcons, not good. Steelers, eh, not really too good. Bears, not good. Um, you know, you go up and down the list. The only team to not do anything in this period of time was the Bengals. Um, They're the only ones. Everybody else has done something. Uh, Washington is the other team to not do very much. Um, This was the first year, in fact, I think that they did any restructures um, at all. You know, they they did a couple of deals towards the end there. But, um, you know, it's this number here, when you think about it's pretty crazy. Kicking the can $280 million in cap room when the next closest team is 147. And it's not like the Saints have been successful, right? You, you go back, you know, you, you can understand some of the logic in doing that when Breeze is there at the end. You can't tell me there's a reason to do that when your quarterbacks are Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, and Derek Carr. You know, you you can't have this kind of gap between number one and number two. And unless something is just going right for you and you've stumbled on this magic formula, like, this is not a good thing. Like, this differential doesn't make any sense. Like, there's no logical way to look at that and say that it makes sense. And, you know, this is where you get into the problems with their team You know, if we go to their, let's go to their calculator for next year. Now, this is not going to, I don't think this is going to utilize the effective cap. So it's going to run off 72. Yeah, so it'll run off 72, um, you know, for what you have to do. But, you know, you you come in here and you just can't get rid of guys. You know, so what are they going to have to do? So Cam Jordan, you know, you restructure him. Yeah, you know, restructure. I'm not gonna throw the voids in. I know that they would typically do that. Michael Thomas's number is actually gonna go up because of some incentives that he has in his deal that won't count until this year. You know, let's say you know, you're gonna restructure Lattimore. You're up to fifty two over uh Ramchek. Let's do him. a yeah, forty. He's gonna do. Um, so you're gonna cut Kamara. You're not gonna gain anything. You probably cut him post June one, but you know for the purposes of free agency time, you know that's where you're gonna be. Demario Davis maybe retires. Maybe let's cut him. They might be able to do a June one trick with him. A you know, restructure car. You're still $10 over, and that's not even with 51 on the roster. Um, Taysom Hill, let's restructure him. Yeah, a couple of these guys you might be able to do more. We probably should put something in where you just get a max restructure. Right now, I I don't think we have that in here for the calculator. We're about four. Um, Cut Hurst. Get a little bit out of Ruiz here. Structure. McCoy. Get a little out of him. Alright, so basically we've got the same exact roster as last year. We've created 12-4. Um, that'll probably let us get to 51 now. That probably still won't let you get to 51 players. But it'll get you close, um, you know, to 51 um Winston's deal voids out. They're, they're probably gonna have to do something with him. Um because Winston, you're not you're not gonna bring Winston back again. Maybe they can do something to allow him to be a June one cut. Um you know, so maybe let's see what we could do here. Let's see if we just put in this number here. It's better than cutting. Let's see where we're at. Yeah, that gets you to 18. So that's probably what they have to do. Um, you know, and that'll probably cover Michael Thomas, who's probably going to get $4 million. So we double down on Cam Jordan, double down on Lattimore, double down on Ramjack, um, cut Kamara, assume Davis retires, um, cut uh, restructure Derek Carr, restructure Taysom Hill. Restructure, restructure, and post June one, Jameis Winston with a modification to his contract. Now, this modification would have to come at the end of this season, um, to where you can make it so his cap number is not going to be ten point seven. You can get it to where it'll be around four, and then you'll defer that money to the following season. Um, you know that that's probably the Saints' path just to being cap compliant. And again, it's like, what are you doing? Like, is this roster is not going anywhere? So you're getting into an older roster, but you don't have another option. There, there's no, um, there's no different method that you can utilize to, you know, just say, all right, we're we're going to hit the the panic switch, and you know, we're going to hit that red button, and we're going to just really begin this rebuild. You don't have an ability to do that. Um, remember, and you can't trade play. even if you wanted to trade some players, you can't trade them until you have to start a new league year. So again, you'd have to manipulate stuff to kind of be able to do that. Um, So, you know, it's just a bad situation, I think, all around for them. But it's a very good example, in my mind, of what the long-term implications are with the salary cap and why the salary cap... Over a period of two, three years is very impactful for all the teams in the NFL. Even if it's not that impactful for, um, you know, one season where for one season we simply say, well, the salary cap is fake. I agree. But when we start to look over the long term and when you see, you know, this roster and you see what they have to do to be cap compliant and the type of team that they have to keep. Um, you know, year after year. I mean, Marcus May is only going to save you 1-5 if you cut him. I mean, it's like you're just going nowhere. Um, You know, you're just going around in circles winning six or seven games and hoping at some point that you get a little bit better. So, you know, it's just wishful thinking at this point on the, the Saints there. And, you know, I, I think... Keeping in mind with that, I'd like to discuss this article here that I wrote this week, um, You know, looking at risks that come from certain kind of uh, contract restructures or contract structures overall, and we can use this when we talk about uh, restructuring and stuff like that. So let's uh, do that. Let me just take one break here. Let me just go grab another drink. All right. Um, yeah. So this is probably the first <clears throat> actual post I've done on OTC. I bet in two months that hasn't been a podcast. Uh, just been so busy, no time to actually write some stuff out. But um, after some discussions about trading deadlines and certain types of things with certain player contracts, and um, you know where you're looking at the return on investment on certain players. Um, I kind of wanted to, to look a little bit more, and I've done this in the past too. Um, but I want to look a little bit more at where teams are going wrong with their contract decisions. And typically, we can kind of measure that by dead money. So that's going to tell us two things: one, we either push too much money in those contracts on the prorated side, uh, or we just, you know, completely whiffed on that, you know, on that player, and you know, maybe the contract structure goes along with that. So the first thing I want to look at was dead money over the last three seasons and you know what positions rank the highest. So wide receiver was number one with about four hundred and forty million. Then we had quarterback with about four twenty dead, three fifty dead for corners, three forty dead for edge, three hundred linebackers, interior defensive line two eighty-six, uh one fifty-five for tight ends, running backs or uh, one thirty-one. I think that is there, and, you know, guard and safety, and then there's some positions lower and lower. But obviously the, this this gives you that, but it doesn't tell you necessarily a lot, right? Wide receivers, there's a lot of wide receivers on a team. Um, you know, certainly a lot more than a quarterback. Uh, so, you know, that that doesn't necessarily tell us, um, you know, too much. It, it does tell us that obviously that there's some – Serious money that's uh, being pushed on wide receivers, it probably shouldn't be. But given the size of the market, it's probably logical that they should be above quarterback. So what we did instead was I wanted to look at how much money was spent in that same time frame on the salary cap for each position. Um, and then how much dead money was spent on that position. And that gives you an idea of you know just kind of a relative ratio right we've got this much that's active this much is dead and you know that shows you how much i think number one teams are too quickly making a decision on quarterbacks and you know i i know i've said this before and you say well sometimes you you want to get in ahead of the ahead of the curve um you know and in fairness, quarterbacks do get a lot of restructure, so their active cap maybe should be a little bit higher uh, than normal. But, you know, the, the dead money that you see here is huge. So our ratio at this is about 3.9 to 1. Uh, so about almost 21% of all money in this period of time spent on quarterbacks has been attributed to dead money at the position. That's a very, very high number. And, you know, I think it basically just, it, it says a lot about how we go in there with a player like a Derek Carr. Um, you know, when he was on the Raiders, Derek Carr right now with the Saints. And we get a little too aggressive with that player. Why? Well, because there's not another, there's not a better option, um, You know, when you see it with young guys, like you're probably not completely sold on a Kyler Murray, Uh, you're not completely sold on a Jared Goff, you're not completely sold on a Carson Wentz, but you get a deal done because the alternative of possibly losing the player um, is maybe not that good. But then you you quickly just decide "Ah, this isn't the guy to run my offense. Like he he's not bringing us to the next level, and now I'm stuck with him at X amount of dollars and. It's like it's one thing when he costs us $7 million a year and I can surround him with a bunch of players. It's a lot different when his salary is, um, you know, in their cases, in the mid-30s. And uh, Kyler Murray, who is a much more current contract, you know, $46 million a year. Um, so you, you, you fall out of favor, but you've already done the damage because teams very often just say, okay, quarterback has the highest cap charge. Let's go in there and restructure it, right? Daniel Jones is probably going to be that way next year. $47 million cap hit, I think. Um, You know, what are you going to do? So you you go in there and you restructure it and you just kick that money, kick that money, knowing for the most part that he's probably not going to be your quarterback in 2025. Um, So I think this should be something that we look at and say, all right, number one, we're probably restructuring too much on the quarterbacks. Um, You know, we shouldn't be doing that. Number two, it probably makes sense in some of our situations to wait on extending these players. Um, There's no reason to, you know, so aggressively for fear of, you know, the negativity that comes with it. And, you know, you saw it with the Bengals this year. You know, there was a lot of negative sentiment that was being floated their way for not getting a deal done with Joe Burrow. And it's like, you know, maybe you'd be better off waiting. Now I think Burrow will be fine. I think this is just gonna go down as one of those years for him. Uh, but if he isn't, you know that that's gonna go down there as is a bad one. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson, you know that, that's gonna be an all-timer. Um, you know, I, I, man, you know that that's that that's going down a whole different rabbit hole here. Um, the trade, man, when they when they made that trade. First of all, the, the, the all the off-the-field stuff is just, it, it's indefensible um, when you go and do that. But when you see what they did with the contract and what they did with the trade for a guy who hadn't played football, like, I, I just, I didn't get it. Um, you know, even at the time. It's like very hard uh, for a person who is a, a great athlete, um, but you're, you're playing at a sport where everybody is great athletes. And everybody is dialed in and players very quickly, you know, have these career arcs that, you know, go up and very quickly go down. You know, they flame right out. Um, in Watson's case, you know, you, you in players like that, um, that don't play, uh, you know, I remember this guard on the Nets. Uh, uh, who was it? I traded for him from from uh, Utah. I don't know why I can't come up with his name. You know, he was a terrific player, um, but when he got to the Nets, it was like they bent over backwards because they didn't want to lose him. Um, you know, So they basically didn't play him for like two years. It's like, hey, your foot is hurting you. Yeah, you don't got to bother bother playing. You don't have to bother doing this, bother doing that. To not play and then try to come back and play at that same level after you've basically turned it off for two years, I think that's very difficult. And I think Watson is a perfect example. And I think people are looking at this now with him saying he's got this guaranteed contract and he doesn't really care. And right now he is the, he's the worst thing in the world for any kind of talk about a guaranteed contract in the league. Um, but I don't think it's that. I think it's just that you turned your body off from that mode. It's hard to turn it back on into that mode. And I think that's what you see with him out on the field anyway you know his his contract is a disaster at this point um you know second position you know getting back to this and this one little surprising to me linebacker um 4.05 active to dead almost 20 percent of the entire market is dead money so what does that tell us number one linebackers are overpaid um, they're not an impact position anymore uh, and I know, I know you can point to a couple of guys and say, oh, well, you know, Fred Warner does really good in San Francisco. Okay, sure, one guy. Um, for the most part, it's, a, it's an overpaid position because some of those cap numbers get pretty high. You will see a couple of those players get those contract restructures, um, you know, to where they, they push that money a little bit further. Um, but this is a position that as soon as a regime change comes in, They usually very quickly say, what are we paying $17 million a year for, for our linebacker? What are we paying 13 million, 12 million, whatever that number, why are we doing that? Like, it doesn't make sense. Cut them. And so it's almost like a future, um, future way of, you know, kind of hurting your team when you sign that player. So to me, this one is like a real, I think alarming trend, um, you shouldn't be signing the linebackers in free agency for big money. Let the market come to you and then sign the players that are left. They're, they're very interchangeable, most of the players at the position. Um, I know we, we talk a lot about running backs. I think linebackers fall very in, into a very similar bucket, um, most of them, you know, in the sense that while they play longer, you know, you're going to have linebackers that are that are effective for a long period of time. There's not a lot of difference that separates a $17 million linebacker and a $4 million linebacker. But what separates them a lot is what that $17 million linebacker leaves you on the cap when the time has come to finally move on. Uh, position number three is wide receiver. 4.4 uh, is our ratio here, almost 19%. This is another one of those positions. When you get into the numbers on wide receiver, and one of these days we'll, we'll do a little bit of a deeper dive into this. When you get into the numbers on a wide receiver, the wide receiver peak performances are years like three and four or four and five of a career. It's not six, seven, and eight. Not at all. You know the, Yeah, there's a handful of players that get there, right? A.J. Brown is dominant right now in his uh, sixth year, I think. Is he, or is he at fifth? Um, you know, he's been dominant, you know, Keenan Allen has had a long career, Tyler Lockett, you know, a couple of these guys have been around for a while. Mike Evans, obviously, um, you know, th- they're the exceptions, Tyree Kill, they're the exceptions to the rule, you know, the, the Odell Beckhams are more of the norm, um, you know, where you hit these peaks, and then you go, and this is another one of those positions where, with the quarterback, it's probably more along the lines of just you know, don't rush into it. You should wait until that year five, or wait until, um, you know, maybe you have to consider a franchise tag before you jump into that extension. With the wide receivers, you probably just shouldn't be jumping into the extensions. You probably need to be more cautious with what you do and let these situations play out. Don't get strong armed by a big personality. Um, you know, Beckham, I thought it's a, it's a great example of that, um, with the Giants, certainly with the Ravens this year. Um, you know, it's like a big personality that goes beyond just those statistics that, you know, get you further. You know, if the Giants had waited that out and let things kind of come to them, they never would have gotten into that contract. Now they, they ended up offloading it to, um, Cleveland, but you know, they still had to deal with, uh, some of that fallout. Um, similar to the wide receivers are the corners. And, you know, I say, and I, I think I mentioned this in the article, you know, makes sense athletically, it's very similar. You know, it's guys who are these terrific, great athletes. And as soon as you kind of lose a little bit of a step, you know, it starts to go pretty quick. Uh, I think some of the differences are that, um, you know, wide receivers can have kind of a graceful decline. And corners sometimes can get a reputational decline, meaning that it's, you know, like you'll get a year where the corner is probably not good. Like if you watch the team play and you you actually pay attention to what he's doing, and I'm sure it's probably reflective a lot of times in like a PFF grades and stuff like that, that even though the player is not being targeted, you can probably tell that he's letting guys get open but right now he's got a reputation, like, don't throw on him, don't throw on him. When teams go out there and they have a full off season to really dissect the tape and everything else, they start looking at that and they're like, you know, this guy can't play anymore. Now let's test him. And a lot of times they, they fall apart. Uh, with the wide receivers, it's more just along the lines of like, you know, they fall from 1,300 to 1,000 to 700, 800, and then you just kind of wait for something to happen and then they you know, they kind of flame out, um, you know, it's a little different than running back where running back is like a, uh, a position where the, the, the decline on that is completely off a cliff. There's no reputation bump. Um, there's no graceful decline, like in a wide receiver. It's just, you're going to gain 1300 yards as a running back at, you know, almost five yards a clip to struggling to get 800 yards at 3.9. Um, that's just the way it is. And you can see it's uh, 16% of all the active cap charges are dead money. And you can see how low the salary is at that position. So, you know, not not a good spot to be in. Um, edge is at about 15. Tight end is about 15. Tight end, I think, also falls into that same spot. And I think this is also one of the reasons why center is so high. Um, where I mentioned with linebackers, when you get a new regime that comes in, This is often one of the positions that's first to go. Excuse me. I think the uh, tight ends and centers, when you have a couple of highly paid players, I think they fall into that same category. Um, Tight end is always a very unique thing. It's one of the reasons why I hate drafting that position high. It's very, very heavily dependent on the kind of system that you run. Um, There's no such thing as, you know, when you want to say, I got this unicorn tight end, you know, the Kyle Pitts in Atlanta unless you've got a system that somehow is magically going to feature that tight end all the time, um, they're not going to be able to stand out enough to, you know, make an impact for you because once that offensive coordinator changes to a more traditional system, having that, you know, super athletic tight end that can get down the field, it doesn't amount to anything. Um, You know, when Jimmy Graham was on the Saints and he was putting up huge numbers, it was in part because they designed their offense to try to take advantage of, you know, the way that he played, Um, you know, his size and the fact that he could go outside. When he went to Seattle, Seattle still wanted to use a little bit more of a traditional kind of tight end setup. And when you looked at... Certain spots on the field, he was actually doing pretty much the same as he was doing in New Orleans. But once they crossed a, a certain period, maybe it was inside the 40, inside the 30, it was like a totally different ball game with the way they wanted to use him. And, you know, his numbers were never the same in Seattle. Uh, center's another one. You know, there's a lot of teams that just believe that center is a plug-and-play position. This is not what the belief was years ago but it's now that you know you draft a rookie in the mid rounds, you bring him in, you let him play center and then when it's time, you just move on to somebody else and you let another team sign <clears throat> sign him for 8, 9, 10 million dollars a year. And you know, that that's again, I think what happens here is that you get a lot of centers who earn 10 million dollars, 8 million dollars, 12 million dollars, whatever the numbers are on bad football teams. And new GM comes in and it's like, well, let's just cut the ties with the center. Uh, Then you get into some positions which aren't too bad. Uh, Interior defensive line, 13-2. And when you look at this number here, you know, it's a lot of active cap dollars. So teams are doing a better job with their valuations or their decisions on restructures with your interior defensive line than they're doing with like quarterbacks and linebackers and wide receivers. Um, I don't care about punters, you know, guards, it's pretty solid at 13. Then you get to your tackles. I mean, that's great. You know, only 10% and 7%, you know, the market is dead money. So, you know, this tells me that number one, you're getting your valuations right with these players, you know, that uh, on the whole, and you know, maybe this, this goes back to the fact that there's not a lot of standout offensive tackles. Um, You know, while maybe from a salary standpoint there are and, you know, everything else. But I I think a lot of times when we look at this and you you look at kind of some of the the analytics, the the different things that are out there for analyzing play from your tackles, there's not that many guys who are, like, atrocious. Um, It's more like most of the players will get you at the very least passable play, regardless of what the salary is. And you're like, well, it's passable, so... We don't need to cut the player like it's in line with the market. He's passable and that's good enough. Um, So, you know, I I think when you look at it this way, I I think these are two positions where you probably should be um, sinking more in your restructures than somewhere else. You know, safety might be another position. And I think when you get to all of this, I think my big takeaway really on it is that the NFL too much, just we take the easy way out. Um, You know, when we look at these things, like when people ask me questions on uh, Twitter or X, whatever uh, you know, and you, you ask me questions about, well, how does this team comply with the salary cap? And Oftentimes, you know, if someone asked me about Dallas, for example, next year, what's the first thing I'm going to say? Oh, you restructured Dak Prescott. And yeah, that, that is probably what Dallas is going to do. But when you're looking at managing your salary cap, you really should be looking at managing your salary cap the way maybe you would be if you were, um, you know, if you were in charge of running a mutual fund, right? And you're diversifying, right? You're diversifying your risk all around you should be managing your salary cap and you are managing your roster in the same way. You know, you're trying to diversify the way that you spend your money, diversify the risks that are associated with it and not necessarily putting all your eggs in one basket. Why? Because it's the easiest thing to do. Um, you know, going in there and just saying, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, uh, You know, restructure Dax contract and I'm going to be good at that point. You know, and then maybe I'll do the the second highest paid player or highest cap player and I'm going to be solid. Like, I'm going to be great now for the future. It's like, well, you know, if we look at this and we look at the amount of money that we're spending on dead money at uh, quarterback. And let's say the other player they wanted to do it with is uh, maybe Diggs next year or something like that at corner. And you look at that and you start saying, well, you know what? You might be setting yourself up in a position to have a year, two years from now, three years from now, where you're you're really hurting yourself with dead money when you don't want to have that player in your team anymore. You know, maybe it would make more sense to restructure a little bit of the quarterback contract, restructure a little bit of the quarterback contract and look at your left tackles, look at your right tackles, look at your guards, look at your interior defensive linemen. Even though those players might have a lower salary cap charge in your team, you might be able to create some cap room there that kind of amounts to the same thing as your quarterback. And in the long run, it'll probably be less money spent because if we look at this as, okay, I'm deferring my quarterback money, but it's all going to hit the cap, you know, two years from now because I'm going to cut the player. Well, you'd be better off being in a situation where, you know, when you cut that quarterback, you, you have the right tackle, you have the left tackle, you know, with some of those salary cap charges built in that are going to prorate out to the future and you're still not cutting the player and, you know, your quarterback number that's dead won't be so high. You know, I think a team, and I'm not saying that they they follow this exactly, but, you know, I think one of the teams that's actually done a good job with that has been Kansas City. Um, You know, you look at Mahomes, it would have been very easy for Kansas City every year to go in there and just say, well, you know, what we can do is we'll just redo Mahomes. And, you know, you you look at Mahomes in 2022 – They left 27-4 on the table that they could have restructured. They didn't do it. This year, they left 22-4 on the table they could have restructured. They didn't do it. Now, they ended up restructuring a little bit more than they originally did. Why? Well, because they they did that new kind of deal with him. But, you know, they, they said, okay, we don't want to get his numbers out of control too much down the line, number one. Number two... You know, not that they're ever gonna move on from him, but just, you know, let's let's spread that money around a little bit. Let let's spread the way that we do this when it comes to restructures. And you know, you can see that they're they're high on the list. Now a lot of that has come from Mahomes. But, you know, you, you wanna look at it that way. And I I think um, you know, when we get into some of these teams and the way that you do that there's a lot that can be said, I, I think, for, um, you know, doing those kind of things. You know, and the, your diversification not only comes from a salary standpoint, it comes from a roster construction standpoint, right? We've talked about that all the time with corners. You know, invest in a number of corners. Expect one of them to flop. You know, when you're drafting your quarterbacks, draft two of them because you should expect one to flop. Um, you know, and so on and so forth. But, you know, just from the the finances, the finances of it, the, the numbers that are involved in the finances. You know, look at some of these positions and say that we're underutilizing this when it comes to restructures, number one. These are the positions that if we want to extend them early, probably makes sense to do it. And when we get into these couple positions at the top, you know, this is where, number one, if we're gonna restructure, Let's be a little bit more cautious about it. Number two, if we're going to extend, let's not do it after three years. You know, unless the guy is Mahomes, um, you know, Parsons probably falls into that category at edge. Um, But, you know, unless it's those players, don't do it. You know, wait until year five. What, What difference does it make? You know, are they going to be upset? Okay, let them be upset. Let the agent go on X and complain. Let the agent do interviews and complain. Deal with it. You know, 20 years ago, the, the general managers and the cap guys and all the front office people, they dealt with that kind of nonsense. Deal with it again. Um, you know, you, you can go back to that. And I, I know sometimes you, you don't want to deal with the conflict and you think it's bad for the team. Once the games start, with the exception of a handful of individuals, it, the money side of it leaves you. It really does. And if it doesn't, those are prob- that, that probably tells you right then and there that that's not a player that you want on your team for the long term. Because if that ends up, you know, impacting the way that they play, that's a problem. You know, go send them somewhere else to be another team's problem at that point. Um... You know, but I, I think that is kind of the, the lessons that you can learn from this. But, you know, just like with anything else, be aware of who you're doing this stuff with. Um, you know, and diversify that money. Diversify the way that you, um, you know, you spend those those cap dollars there. And, you know, figure out what you want to do. All right, let's get into our Twitter questions here. Let me set up my other computer And um, let me do that. So I'll do from email. I don't know if I really have much there. Um, So let me just get that set up and then I'll be right back on here. All right, you know what? Actually, before before I do the questions, I was gonna do those first. um, Let me just uh, go over a couple of things, I think, from this week. Um, you know, some stuff that I, I thought was, uh, you know, just some news things that I thought were a little bit, um, odd. So today we got news that the, um, it was Schefter had it. Um, I believe it was him that said that the, uh, Texans are not trading, um, not trading Derrick Henry and I'm sorry, the Texans, the Titans are not trading Derrick Henry. And I think, I'm assuming, you know, their season is about to go completely up in smoke, but I'm assuming that this decision was made simply because they're not getting any kind of reasonable return on it. Um, there's a chance that they didn't want to pick up the salary, you know, which is going to be about half of that, you know, four $4 million, $5 million, whatever it is, Um you know, for the rest of the year, so he'd be down at the minimum for a team that uh, picked him up. Uh, Titans have a lot of cap room, so I, I don't think that the that's really an issue for him. Um, my assumption is that they're not getting offers for him that they think are reasonable. Um, you know, he's uh, what's he at this year? Uh, four twenty-five yards, four three yards per carry, three touchdowns. You know, they're certainly not using him as much. Um, You know, he's only appeared, I guess, in six games so far. So, um, unless we're missing a game on that. Uh, So, anyway, um, you know, I I think in his case, this is a situation where, you know, I've talked about this with Joe Douglas sometimes, that you kind of, it it can be a blessing, um, you know, and a curse sometimes you, you don't want to be on the end of a trade where it looks like you've you've given up a player for a crappy return um, you know that you, you've given up a player who's a, a star player and you're only getting a fourth round pick for him or fifth round pick or something like that when you know you feel like you should be getting a two because you know th- this kind of thing sets a, a low bar you know, for you sometimes in the future. So I I think that might be in play here that, um, you know, they're they're looking at this in Tennessee as like, if we're not going to get a great deal for him, maybe this is going to hurt us next year if we want to trade, say, Harold Landry, uh, who's a younger player, um, you know, and should get you more of a return. So, you know, from a general manager's perspective, I don't want to make that trade, I'd rather just eat five million bucks. We're already healthy with the salary cap next year. This was our bad salary cap year next year. We're good with it. Um, I would rather do that than make what I consider a, a bad trade that might hurt us in the future. Um, you know, versus just moving him for the sake of moving him and getting a late draft pick that, you know, I don't think that, that highly of. So... I think that's probably the logic that comes in with this. The one that was more ridiculous was the Washington Commanders. Basically putting it out there that they will trade their players if they lose this week, but not if they win. So Washington is a terrible football team. Um, you know, if you look at the efficiency stuff that I throw out there, and I'm pretty sure the EPA stuff, I'm just not looking it up. Um yeah, it would be the same. Uh it's EPA per pass. Where's my efficiency stuff? Uh, let's see if I can dig it up. I have it somewhere. Here we go. So, just if you look at how they're scoring, they're one of the worst teams in the league. Um, you know, there, there were a couple people that, you know, the other week I said what these kind of performances would equate to. And it was like Washington would equate to like a four win football team. People, you're telling me Washington's not going to win another game? No, there's there's deviations on this. It's just that a team that typically plays like Washington is like a a four point two win team. You know, they're a four win team. Um, now, usually the way these work, um, you know, with this this kind of stuff that you see here, if a team is pegged as like a four win team. There's probably a, a plus-minus-three. Like, that team probably has upside of seven wins. Um, you know, and then has downside of two wins or something like that. Washington's a bad football team at the moment. Um, you know, that, that that's what they are. And I know, who have they beaten this year? Um, Arizona? Um, they played... Atlanta, maybe? Um, I don't know if they've beaten anyone decent. Um, Let's see. Let me look at Washington, who they've beaten this year. Maybe I'm shortchanging them, but I doubt it. They've beaten Arizona, Denver. They gave up 33 (laughs) <laughs> to Denver, <laughs> um, they did go to the overtime with the Eagles. That see, this is the game that throws you off because they got there with the Eagles, who are probably a little bit overrated. And this is the one where the, the like the the older um, commentators about the sport uh, will go there and they'll be like, Washington has let you know that this is a three team race. Then they go and they lose to the Bears. You know, they, they find a way to beat the Falcons and then they get nothing against the Giants. So, I mean, this is a bad football team. Like, they, there's not much that they do that's good. Um, you know, their, their quarterback goes out there and sometimes he makes some plays that are exciting when he's not getting sacked. But when you look at where they go, they're with like the lowest teams in the NFL right now. So... To not be willing to be a seller at the trade deadline simply because, well, maybe we'll get to four and four. You're not looking at the big picture. Now, if you're not going to get enough of a return for those players, yeah, I get it. Um, But Washington is a team that should be in pretty decent salary cap shape, I think, next year. And they have new ownership, so they're going to spend money. You know, I don't don't think this is going to be like the way they've been where... You know, they they actually haven't been too good with the the spending in recent years. Um, yeah, they got ninety two, uh, seventy-eight effective. So one, two, three, fourth in the league in effective cap room. So, you know, they're gonna spend, so you're you're not gonna get um you know, for players who are free agents, you you're probably not going to get a compensatory pick for them. And, you know, that might limit you a little bit, but You know, if you're getting a decent offer for Chase Young, it's like, you're going to hold on to him because you got four wins if you get a decent offer? That's insane. Um, You know, to do that. Uh, The other one that I thought was funny was there was some talk about Hunter Renfro. And, um, you know, there was talk about trading him. I don't know why anybody would want him. But, you know, this is a perfect example of probably rushing into um something so let me let me look up his numbers here i could do this on our site too but i'll use pfr i like that they're you know obviously they do a great job with this kind of stuff um you know if i want to look at these numbers so you look at where he's been the last two years mcdaniel's been coached last two years right um let me see here i just want to make sure yeah was Gruden before that in 21. You know, this is the this is the stuff that gets you crazy. So sight unseen, which made no sense in the world, um, you know, they go out there and they do the deal for Hunter Renfro. So this deal is done last June, where they bump him up to about sixteen million dollars a year. When, in fairness, he comes off, you know, the best season of his career, 1,000 yards. Um, You know, they do the extension. He's got the one year remaining on his contract at the time. And it's like, well, you know, you you want him to be, um, you know, on the team, I guess, for the the long, long haul, long term or whatever it is. And you do this deal. And then last year, you know, plays in 10 games. Only three hundred and thirty yards, nine point two yards a clip, because your quarterback situation sucks. Um touchdowns have kind of regressed back to where you would expect them to be. Fifty-two yards a game. I'm sorry, fifty-two success. Uh you know, numbers collapse, yards per game down to thirty three. And he basically falls out of favor, and it's like you didn't even try. So, you just made the decision to go ahead and sign this receiver to a contract of $16 million a year, 14.5 uh, fully guaranteed. You, know, you make that decision to do that. And now, when you finally see him in person, you're like, nah, he ain't working for me. This year, I mean, look at these numbers eight receptions, 73 yards. 10 yards a game and you want to go out there and talk about, yeah, you know, he might be part of our team. Like it's ridiculous. You never should have done the contract in the first place. He should have just been like, you know, I want to see how everybody's going to fit here before you do it. Because this is, this is one of those guys. Now his dead's not too bad next year at five, five. But very clearly it's all going to be there. And, Realistically, I mean, his 13-1 is dead this year, you know, because he's not playing. He's not being utilized at all. And the Raiders did this with two players. They did this with him and they did it with Waller last year. It's like, that's just a, when you look at those kind of decisions, it's just poorly run. Like either you're completely sold on these players and you're going to try to use them. Where you're not sold on him, you've got to tell your owner, you got to tell the rest of the guys in your front office, like, I don't want to do a deal with him until we actually see him play. And they're not doing that. You know, so this one I found comical that, you know, the coaches out there talking about him being like a, a future part of the, the program that they have there. It's like, you don't use him. That's on you. And so is this terrible contract. You know, but th- this is just another one of those reasons why it pays sometimes to wait. Because I, I believe they still had him under con- excuse me under contract for um, one more year, I think is I, I think is what they had him for. Um, let me see. Yeah, it was an extension. So now, l- luckily for them, it's not like a, a crazy long term deal. Um, you know, it's just a two-year extension, but still, you know, you, you cost yourself a bunch that you you didn't need to do. You know, they're they're going to have to do some changes there in uh, Vegas. Just a a bad, 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 bad mess um, with everything. Um, other stuff that I posted this week, just to um, do this. So this this one was about the tush push. You know. I don't know why we're going so crazy about it. Drives me nuts every week. It's like, oh, well, this isn't fair. You know, this play there, they push him and he can't look. The reason that play is successful, other teams try. It doesn't always work. The reason this play is successful. They have great interior offensive line play. Those guys get a great drive on the ball. They get low. They get those guys out of there. Hertz is incredibly strong. Um, You know, the go over his uh, squat numbers that he does now. I don't know if those are legitimate squats or not. Either way, he's incredibly strong to be able to hold that weight on his back. And even if he's doing like a half squat, that's just an incredible number. So he's incredibly strong. And then you get a couple of guys behind him that try to help kind of push him through. Um, Look, Brady's thing where he would run up there and sneak the ball when the teams weren't ready half the time. No different. (laughs) You know, this is why it's successful. It's because of the personnel that that team has, not the fact that they have somebody pushing them from behind. You know, if you want to try something different, you know, if you want to complain about it, if you're Cleveland, throw like a Miles Garrett. You know, I know Nick Chubb's hurt right now, so you, you can't say him. Take a guy like a Miles Garrett, who's huge, teach him, you know, how to handle a snap. He's incredibly strong. There, there's some videos of him doing ridiculous squat numbers and stuff, you know, and you've got a good offensive line. You know, that's what you got to do. You know, no different than when, you know, the Bears, when I was a little kid, you know, throwing refrigerator Perry in the backfield or something like that. Um, You know, just learn to deal with it. You know, find your personnel that can make that work. If you you really want to do that play on a fourth and one or a third and one, find personnel to make it work because you probably have a guy that can do it but your guy to do it is not going to be like a, a like a Zach Wilson, you know, type player. You know, it, it's not going to, not the Jets were complaining about it. And, you know, it's just a quarterback that popped in my mind here, but you know, it's not going to happen with Dak. You know, that that's one of the, the teams that's tried it and hasn't been successful. You know, if you want to try it with someone, you got to find someone who's probably incredibly strong and big and, you know, can plow through that to get that yard and isn't gonna get taken down to where even if he's just kind of stood up on the, the initial blow, then that secondary push can, you know get you through there or shove, whatever they want to call it. Um, you know, can get you through. So kind of sick of just uh, listening to that. Um, valuation stuff. I'm not gonna get into that. Uh, next year's cap room this is just a quick look again to see where next year's cap room is and how teams rank. And I I do think that it's pretty interesting that you can see the teams that have kind of sold their soul for this year are all doing relatively good. And the teams that a little bit more for next year are all doing pretty bad. Um, You know, and then you've got this cluster here and this is like disaster zone. Now the Packers knew what was going to happen. They were just hoping that love would be terrific um, you know, you look at the Broncos, you look at the Chargers, you look at the Saints. Um, you know, this is like disaster territory. Like you're in an awful position with the cap for next year and you're crappy football team at the moment. Um, you know, so that's a pretty bad one. Uh, this was another one that I liked. I took these from Sumer. This is their EPA models that they have for the uh, quarterback position. So I just want to look at spending on these guys and um, you know see how they go. If you're not following Super Sports, give them a they give them a try. Give them a look. They have some cool stuff. Um, and their podcasts are very good. A lot of the things they do. Everybody knows. Like I, I bump up a lot of times. Um, Eric and Thomas's that they do when I'm online and happen to be listening. I always think that it's uh, a lot of insightful topics that are there. Um, you know, having. That open access to, um, you know, former NFL GM, I think, is always terrific. And, um, you know, it just gives you a really good perspective as to, um, I think, a lot of times what really goes on with uh, some of the NFL decision-making. Anyway, um, yeah, you can see here, these are the guys who've spent a lot at quarterback and are getting good quarterback play, um, you know, good offensive play overall. Uh, these are the ones that are going in the other direction. Now. Obviously, the Jets, you know, have injuries. Giants, a little bit with injuries. Cardinals have injuries. Browns, they got whatever going on there. Um, these teams didn't do much at the position. We're hoping young guys work out, you know, and it's been hit or miss. So, you know, I, I think this is just a, a good way to, um, you know, judge some of the impact. Now, you can break these things down further uh, when you start looking at some of these other other players and you start to say well, you know, where does this impact really come from? And I think you can start to look at, you know, investments in the offensive line, performance of the offensive line, performance of the receiver position. Um, You know, and you can start to get kind of an overall picture as to how all those things impact the passing game. But, you know, obviously seeing what's spent on your quarterback room is uh, always interesting and you know, this split, which is really 50-50, um, it just shows you, again, that crapshoot at the quarterback position. And it always takes me back, when I see this stuff, to my original point years ago, um, probably eight, nine years ago, where I said that the way to play the draft is to keep drafting quarterbacks. Um, you know, and even when you find somebody get your four or five years out of that player and then move on. You know, you got to have a person um, in the system at that point that's ready to replace them and you move on. Now, every now and then you find a special player. You know, Mahomes is a special player. Um, Josh Allen is a special player. I think Justin Herbert's a special player. I think Lamar Jackson can be a special player. Um, Those kind of players you extend. Um, But Almost everyone else, I, I think it's kind of questionable. You know, I, I think Burrow probably fits in that category. I, I still think Burrow, th- there's a lot there. And I'm not down on Burrow um, the way that some people are right now. But I, I think he is one of those players, kind of like a Tua, um, probably benefits a little bit from the personnel. I think Tua benefits not just from the personnel. I think he benefits a little, you know, a lot from the system that they're running. Um. But, you know, unless you have players like that, you run that risk of landing in the Ryan Tannehill, Derek Carr, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones. Rogers is hurt. My daughter sent me a picture today of the... um, Was it the Jets set? I don't have my phone with me. Uh, The Jets... The sad Jets fan costume. which then came with a Rogers jersey, something like that. <laughs> my daughter's fourteen, but he, but even she knows, um, you know. And then the the Browns, you know, just disaster situation. So it's like if you're gonna make your mistakes, make your mistakes here. You know, if I'm if I'm making my mistake with Justin Fields and Mac Jones, well, I'm better off making a mistake with Justin Fields and Mac Jones while having the the upside of the C.J. Stroud to a pretty, you know, style offense where I can, if you want to call it spending, um, you know, like San Francisco and Miami can do to improve their team, you know, if we don't want to give the quarterbacks all the credit in the world over there, um, you know, or if we do want to give the quarterbacks all the credit and say, well, we hit on those guys, you know, that, that we say that, um, you know, I'd rather take my chances of being here than here, because here it's a catastrophe. You know, when you've got two hundred thirty million dollars guaranteed sunk on a quarterback who can't play, it's a catastrophe. When you're spending forty million dollars a year on Daniel Jones, it can be a catastrophe. Fifty million a year on Russell Wilson, catastrophe. You know, thirty-five million a year on Derek Carr, that's a catastrophe. You know, that this is like just awful for your team because you know at least here you know you've got such a gigantic salary differential from say Jacksonville at around 12 million to where are they at with their backup situation like 42 43 you know Jacksonville can go and buy three really good football players for that differential and then the Saints just have to make out with who they have so you know that, to me, is is a big thing here. If you're going to make a mistake, you're okay to make a mistake here and here. Don't be that team that makes the mistake in this thing. And this mistake is only going to happen from overvaluing your quarterback. Uh, that's just dead money stuff and everything else. Oh, there's Jacob. If you guys want to take a look. So that's uh, Jacob. It's my third grader right there. He is uh, gearing up for his last game in that photo. He's only allowed to play offensive line, defensive line. So um, he's a little bit on the the bigger side for those kids. But uh, yeah, so he had a good time with that. All right, so let's get into questions here, then we'll wrap this one up. So uh, this one we're going to start with uh, email here. Make sure I don't have another one. I don't think I do. Sorry if I've missed anything from the the other week. I'm not going to go back that far. Um yavin uh few questions. Would the saints be able to move on from Derek Carr after this year? I hear rumors that there's a bit of friction between him and the wide receivers um no they're they're not gonna be able to move on from him um you know unless they can find someone to trade for him, but you know the Raiders couldn't find anyone to trade for him. I can't see why the saints would be able to uh do that on what would be. Yeah, probably pretty similar contract. I was gonna say worse, but probably pretty similar. But you can see here, his dead money is fifty two eight. If they were to cut him, um, you know, if they do trade him, they would, um, you know, have twenty two eight dead. They'd open up twelve nine. I just don't know if a team would do that. So I, I think that he'll be the quarterback next year. I think they just have to get everybody on the same page. Um, you know, Carr, it's one of those examples when you, you come from another team, you, you don't get that same benefit of the doubt. Um, now, he's obviously not a, a legend like some of the other players that I'll, I'll say that about. Uh, but, you know, with the Raiders, he's going to get more of the benefit of the doubt than he's going to get in New Orleans. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think that this is also a byproduct of the, the lousy off seasons that we have now where you just don't get enough work with everyone. Um, but I, I think that that's just one of those things that they'll work out, um, as time goes on. Uh, second question, Titans seem they might be going into a rebuild. What would the financials look like if they were to move Hopkins and Henry? Uh, what do you think they could get back as trade compensation? So, you know, the way that I always look at these things is, you know, for a player like Hopkins, he was available and nobody wanted him. So I don't think that you're, you're going to get a lot in trade compensation. Um, you know, for Hopkins, that's the only logical reason they signed him was for that. I mean, it, it really, if you can get, like, a five or a six, you know, for the, these types of players, I would probably do it. Um, but I don't—for I, Henry—you know, actually, for Henry, I, I could see, again, why he wouldn't do that. Um, you know, in Hopkins' case, it's just a bad signing. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. I forgot he was even on the team. Um you know, you can move him. Uh, you know, mid-round pick is what you would get for him. I think for Henry, I have a feeling they would not move Henry because of the, the name value that's there. I don't think they would move him unless they got a uh, like a second or third-round pick. You know, third, they could escalate to a two. Um, I, I just don't think they would do it. Uh, number three, last but not least, except there's a fourth question, so... Neither of the above. Uh, There seems to be a movement against Justin Herbert in sections of the media. Do you think he's deserving of the criticism? Um, Do you think the Chargers have had a good process in building around him during his rookie uh, contract? Been bad luck in the lackluster performance. Do you think the Chargers' front office is incompetent? So I don't think their front office is incompetent. Um, I think they made some bad moves. I think that you know trading for Khalil Mack was a good move. It's like you're trying something it didn't work. I don't care how many sacks he went and had against the Raiders or whatever in that one game, and I think he had a decent game the other the other week. <clears throat> that was a to me that was a one year shot. And when it didn't work that first year, it's time to move on. Um this this Chargers team this year in my opinion was more of a I need to save my job um, as general manager, I need to save my head coach's job, um, decision-making process, then what's in the best interest of the Chargers for the next three or four years? Um, I think that is how they approach this season. I don't think that's a good process. I don't think that means that the people there are bad. I I just think that they, they whiffed on this... Um, you know, pretty badly with the the way that they approach this season. Um, I don't, you know, the coaching thing there is tough. I don't think he's that bad. I I think when he came into the league, I actually thought he gave the Chargers an advantage with a lot of the things that he was doing that maybe weren't the most traditional. um, But I, I thought that they would overall help the Chargers in the long run. Um, Since that time, I think he is someone who has taken that criticism a little bit too much. And again, where you get into the, you know, saving yourself territory, you, instead of being, if you want to call it aggressive, uh, most of the time or all the time or whatever, you kind of go into picking and choosing your spots. And that doesn't really work out. You know, it's like, if you want this stuff to work out, Like for example, if if you just want your fourth down decision making to work out, over the long run, your fourth down decision making is going to work out if on fourth and one, fourth and two, you pretty much always make that decision to kind of go for it. Um, you know because yeah, you're going to miss a couple of them, and your defense is going to hold, and on those plays you're going to give up a field goal, or you know you're only going to cost yourself a field goal, maybe get the ball back in good position, your offense get down the field and still score those points. Um, I think he's gotten into the pick and choose category, and it's like once you get into, let's say, all right, I'm only going to try a fourth and one if it's in this one spot, and nowhere else. You, you now, now you're putting yourself in the do or die situation. Now, maybe again, it, it's more in your favor, right? You know, probably you convert sixty to sixty five percent of the time, but if you're not really trying it. Well, too often, when you don't make it, it's going to be a disaster. And then on other plays when you should have been trying it and you're going for field goals or punting or something like that, you're not getting a benefit. And then that, that time where you don't make it in the quote-unquote do or die, um, you know, it's a mess. And I, I think that's kind of what's happened to him. Um, Herbert is kind of hurt right now, too. Um, you know, he's got the, the issue with his hand. Uh, So I I think that um, they haven't really done him any favors. I I think it's legitimate some of the criticism that's going to come because you're not winning. You got a big contract now. You're not winning. Um, You know, so I I think that 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 makes it tough. Um, You know, tough for you uh, a little bit. But I, I do think it's fair to criticize players you know, when they're, they're not playing great. Um, I think he's still playing pretty well, but I, I do think he's going to get, uh, you know, some of the blame there. But I, I don't think they're incompetent, but I, I think that they, it was not a good process for this season. Um, and again, maybe it's because the feeling is they're all going to get fired and you go into pre- uh, self-preservation mode and, you know, maybe that's not the best of things. All right, last question from him. Uh, What's the worst uh, beer that you've ever consumed? Oh, he also says IPA. So the worst beer. (laughs) Now, there's probably a couple of worst beers, you know, if I really go back. But, uh, you know, I would say the worst beer, my, um, my one friend, Joe, I think it was him that got them years ago. You know, going back to college days, probably. Um, either college or right kind of out of college, but every now and then we go back and see some friends and stuff like that. But I think still in college, but we used to, uh, you know, we used to do poker nights every now and then we do, uh, you know, $20 hold them tournaments, $50 hold them tournament, well, not tournaments, but games, you know, something like that. And, um, somehow we ended up with like a couple of cases of Coors Winterfest, I think was the name of it, and I don't know how we ended up with these cases of it, but they lasted forever because th- there was a lot of them. It was really bad. Um, I, I there there was no redeeming quality of the cores of Winterfest other than the fact that they were there, and we probably got it for free. So <laughs> it was like that was the uh, that was the redeeming quality of of that one uh, lone drink, uh, in terms of IPAs. Um, I mean, there have been some hazy IPAs that I've had that, you know, aren't that great, but I I consider that like a, you know, just a, a different type of thing. I'm trying to think of, you know, there's a couple of, um, just going to look something up here. Let me see. You know, there's a couple of like those, uh, Light IPAs that I'll mention that aren't that good, um, but again, that that's like a different different class of drink. So it, it's almost like um, I don't know. It, it's almost like I shouldn't put that in the same category. And most of the time, those IPAs actually taste fine if you know you're you're taking it as like a um, I don't know. I'm working outside and I'm I'm gonna drink a little bit, like summer kind of drink. It's just um they're not good if you have um anything else before it. You know, it's like you need to do them in uh in some kind of order. Um man, I I'm not sure. I, I'd I'd really have to think as to um you know, what's a really bad, you know, IPA that I've bought? And I'm just like, oh, you know, this is terrible. Um, you know, maybe, I'm trying to think. Was there, uh, I'm trying to think if there was one of these things that I tried once that was like a, uh, you know, gluten-free or organic or something like that. Probably like a gluten free thing. I probably just tried it for the sake of trying it. Um you know, and just was uh like not good. Um you know, I'm I'm not really sure other than that, uh what it would be. But that that's a that's a good question. But those uh of course I, I think they were called Winterfest. Um <laughs> just really, really not good. Um you know, not not good at all. All right, let's go to the Twitter questions here. We've got a couple, not too many. I oh, know. That's about the commanders. It's, uh, there we go. All right, let me drop down to the bottom of this. Um, all right, this is all nonsense. There we go. Uh, put a link to the article. I'm assuming that's about the dead money. And from the looks of it, somebody sent that to you, so yep. But I, I'll try to post a link in the at least in the YouTube video thing. All right, let's see here.
1: Colin, how bad
0: uh, would it be for the commanders to not trade Jace Young or Montez Sweat if they perform well? Can they be extended? And if they don't, then there isn't much value lost. Only 119 of cash on the books for 2024. Um so yeah, you, you can extend them. Uh the question is, you know, how much do you want to keep investing um you know kind of in that in that range, right? You've got a lot of money spent on your defensive tackles already. Um you know, and your team Kind of stinks. I mean that that's the bottom line. It's not a good football team right now. Um, you know, you look at sweat. You know, these are all very good numbers. You know, they're, they're not great. Um, you know, but they're good numbers. And Chase Young is, he's kind of like uh, this ver this, I don't know what you want to call it. Can't call it generation, but uh, you know the the current version of Davion Clowney. I think is the, uh, the thing there, you know, a lot of injuries, a lot of potential probably doesn't live up to potential. Um, you know, but it's having a pretty good year. Um, you know, at times this year, he's up to, uh, 74% playing time. We got five sacks on the season. You know, I think it depends on what you get. You know, if, if somebody, if somebody offers you, um, you know, what, what did the, uh, what did the Broncos get for Chubb? A uh, first round pick, um, you know, you know, for Chase Young, I would say you probably move on. You know, again, it's the realism about, um, you know, where you are right now, where you're going to be next year, how long this process might take to rebuild. You know, two years, three years, how good would Young be two, three years from now that you would want to extend him at say twenty eight a year, twenty five a year. Um, you know, something like that um, sweat, you know, is a, a little bit lower, I think than what you would get versus what return could you get for a first round pick? Even the, even if it ends up being a um, you know, mid to late number one that you can probably get four productive years, five productive years out of um, you know, on that. So they, they have to make that decision. Now, if, if it's in the back of their mind that they're, they really want to extend these players, you know, that, that's a different story. But I, I wouldn't think that's the case, right? They didn't pick up the option on Clowney. So I, I wouldn't think that that's the case. Um, So, you know, I wouldn't say that you're going to make those – if somebody offers you like a fourth-round pick or something like that for Young or third-round pick, I wouldn't do that. Um, You know, but if they're offering you something that's reasonable, it's probably going to make you better over the long term than, you know – um, having him on the team, you know, in the next couple of years. Oops, let me get back to that. How many players do you need to be in the 80th percentile or greater at their position in order to be a truly competitive team? That's a great, uh, great question. Um, I don't know the answer on that. Um, so, this is how some of these things get skewed. Because I'm sure you can go and look up studies on stuff like this. My guess is, if you look at the the players who get the majority of snaps on a team, and you look at a given season, let's say you use like a Pro Bowl or something as a, uh, um, you know, as a gauge, you know, you will probably find that to be a truly competitive team, you got to have a lot of pro bowlers, but it's almost like they go hand in hand. It's like, well, what's the cause and effect? Like the reason that players in the pro bowl is because the team is effective, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, it's because they've had a good season, but I do think it's true that you probably can only go out there and have, um, a handful of players in a given year that are considered liabilities. Um, You know, and I think the rest of your players have to probably give you, on the whole, um, kind of above average performances in a season. Um, You know, I I don't know about 80th percentile, but, um, you know, I I think you you definitely, if you go back and you study the rosters of playoff teams and you look at how those players performed in that season, I think you'll find that a high percentage of those players... um, play at a pretty high level in that year. I probably should go back. I I can do that with our valuation stuff, um, you know, and go back and maybe I'll try to do that and look at some of the playoff teams from the last couple of years and see from an individual basis, um, where some of those players ranked, um, you know, how many ranked kind of, you know, top 20 at a position, top 15 at a position, um, in a given year with the way that we throw a value on them. um, you know, to see how that that would be. But my guess is it it's probably pretty high, um, you know, for teams that are playoff teams. But it, there's not a lot of carryover year to year, right? So you don't know that ahead of time, um, you know, as to what that will be. But, yeah, you, you probably need a lot of good seasons out of players. All right, let's see here. All right, Jacob, any trade deadline predictions? What big names do you think would be moved? I don't know. I, I hate making predictions with this. I used to do this every year, um, whether it was on the podcast or in a post. Then it got to the point where nothing would ever happen. Um, so I don't really do it anymore. Um, PFF had a good, I think Brad did that article, um, you know, where they, they did some trades that made sense. It's just It just still doesn't happen enough in the NFL. I don't understand it. Um, maybe they need the trade deadline to be the end of November, um, to get more trades going. Um, you know, in terms of who could get moved, you know, I mean, there's no reason for the Panthers to be holding on to Burns. Um, you know, there's no reason for the Jets to be holding on like Carl Lawson and Dalvin Cook. Like it just, it doesn't make sense if there's somebody who's willing to trade for those players, you know, obviously. Um, I think Chase Young with Washington, I think that's a, that's one that, you know, would make sense for them to move. Uh, I think Hopkins in Tennessee would make sense to be moved. Um, I'm not really sure of uh, um, too many other guys, you know, just off the top of my head, but none of these trades really ever seem to happen. You know, it always just seems to kind of, you know, come and go pretty quickly. Let's see here. Flip. Brad mentioned that the cap probably won't come in at 256. You mentioned that's probably correct for these reasons. Still paying back money from COVID. Uh, league doesn't want that big of a jump. First year TV contracts, not as big as thought. Other reasons. So... um I would go with the fact the league doesn't want as big of a jump. There is still money apparently being paid back from COVID. So if we go back to where the cap was, right now the the cap this year is what, 224.8? So about 225. Um, In the old system uh, that existed, the cap should have been about 230. Um, That did not include that extra playoff game. That did not include, I believe, the bump they got for Thursday night football, um, which is still now. And uh, I believe what was a media kicker that bumped the percentage up a little bit more towards the players' side for doing that 17th game in the extra playoff game, I believe. Um, So we're under that number. And so that tells me that we're still paying back stuff from COVID. And, you know, the PA did, I know they, they borrowed a lot on that COVID year. Like they they put a freeze on, um, I think it was like performance-based pay. There's still been a freeze on Rookie Pool. Um, you know, a lot of things like that have been frozen. Uh, so, you know, that that's one of the things. So in my mind right now, the cap probably should be like 233 to 235 is probably where I think it should be. Um, you know, if that stuff didn't happen, maybe a little bit less than that. Um, but my thought was, when you go back to the last set of football contracts, um, you know, our jump that year, which was a pretty big jump, uh, was about 10 or $11 million. And this television contract should be about double that. So my thought was, you would get a jump of about, 20 to 25 million dollars and if our baseline should be you know 233-ish um you know that should jump us into the 250s so you know if we're not getting there i would imagine that that means that the the tv contract is much more backloaded than we originally thought. Like it's, it's maybe going to come at a different type of increment level than the, the last one. Um, I was just assuming that, you know, it was going to kind of go that way. Um, but it, it, it is entirely possible that the league has structured things in that manner to, um, eliminate that big jump. Um, You know, and you you want it to come at a time when, you know, you can ease a little bit more into it maybe, um, you know, when you get that. So, you know, you you go back the the NFL in the past, you know, when you want to look at a history lesson of the NFL collective bargaining agreements. um, And I'm going to get the years wrong on this. But, you know, the first one that, you know, came in like 93, uh, then the first extension of that was... Was it 96 or 98? And there was probably another in 2002. Um, I don't think there was one in 04. Could have been. The next one was 06. And the 2006 one... Well, it started in 2006. The salary cap jumped by a lot. And it threw the league into chaos because... um, it was a huge jump. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I, I don't remember exactly what they were, but you know, you you, you were talking about, you know, like probably a maybe a twenty percent increase, um, you know, in in the the cap that was going towards the players. That this is why the NFL opted out of that deal, and you know, it, it did have an opt out. I think they, I think a lot of the people that negotiated the deal knew wasn't a good deal. They just wanted to make sure that there was not going to be a strike or there was not going to be a holdout or there was not going to be a lockout or whatever it was. Um, And then it was like, okay, there's new people coming into the Players Association. We just want to make sure now we get long-term labor stability and we're going to do a 10-year deal. And they pulled back on the salary cap and they made certain that the formula that was utilized was going to lead to solid state growth, steady growth. Um, you know, which basically worked out to being every year once it finally settled into play, um, the salary cap grew about $10 million a year. Um, Maybe a little bit more, a little bit less. But it was right around that number. It was very, very, very predictable. Um, So my assumption was that this cap would be just as predictable. Um, You know, did the New Deal, didn't want anything to... um, explode or drop down because again in the past two thousand six one was a big explosion. But even when you go back to the the other years where the deal was redone, and again I'm probably getting them wrong, you know, ninety eight oh two or something like that. If you look there, the salary cap actually grew a lot in those years too. Um, you know, and then you didn't have as much substantial growth after that. Um you did in the oh six one. But know in some of those old ones it was like all the growth came in the first year and then it was a little bit more limited after that for this they've always looked for kind of steady steady growth like very predictable growth um so you know maybe maybe the tv deals are a little bit different um maybe they they've decided a different way that they kind of wanted to do this um but, yeah, I think there's a lot of factors at play there. But the numbers that, you know, I've kind of heard have been in like the low 240s, um, you know, we, would be the numbers that where it would be. Now, it's all relative, so it doesn't really make a difference. So, yeah, doesn't make a difference to the Saints who were a bazillion dollars over. Yeah, it probably makes it a little bit harder. But you know, for everything else, really what you're looking at Um, is where you are relative to the rest of the NFL. And whether the cap is 256, 246, 236, it's all relative. Your spending power is all relative. So, you know, I I think in that respect, it really doesn't make that kind of difference, but it might for a team like the Saints. Um, Let's see. Let's see what John has to say. You may have gone over this by the time you get to the questions, uh, but can you go over some of the scenarios on how the Saints can handle their cap? So, yeah, I pretty much went over that before. So I, I think the big takeaway for me is that they have to pick and choose who they want to post-June 1. Uh, one of them is going to be Michael Thomas, unless they extend him. Um, he's got a uh, a roster bonus escalator in there that's guaranteed. It's probably going to be like $4 million. So his cap number is going to rise by about 4 million, um, from what I have on OTC, but he's already set up to be a post-June one. Um, I think the next one would be to do what I mentioned with Jameis Winston, um, get his contract in order to be like, look, we're not going to have you back next year. Um, you can get a job somewhere else and maybe do something, you know, where we're better for worse. We're stuck with car, um. So I, I think that's what they would do. And then basically all those moves I mentioned, I mean, it's just restructuring everybody on your team and, you know, cutting a couple of those low-level guys, hoping that Demario Davis will in retire. Um, you know, if Davis retires, you know, you drop his salary down to the minimum, and you let him retire after June 1st, um, <clears throat> you know, that, that's basically what you have to do. Uh, Connor. What has Josh Allen's uh, from the Jaguars performance this season done for his upcoming contract that they are uh, by not extending him on the uh, in the offseason? No, I, you know, I I am not, you know, unless there's something obvious coming up that, um, you know, really makes you think that, you know, that there's going to be a a massive, massive, massive change in the market, um, you know, and. Once Nick Bosa gets to 35, I mean, there's no, you know, or 34 or whatever he's at. There's no real change in the market. And when you're looking at a kid who's drafted, you know, top 10, um, regardless of what he was playing at, it's not like he was going to go and sign for $15 million a year. Um, you know, that that wasn't going to happen. So, you know, you, you look, um, you know, at what he's done. You know, he's been steady the last three years with his playing time. Um, You know, his pressure production, uh, I'm sorry, impact play production is really good. Uh, Pressure production has been solid, and this year is going to be much better. You know, he's um, getting a lot more sacks that are in there. Um, You know, my opinion of it is that obviously he's increased his value. He's increased what he's going to be asking for, whether they pay it or not. Um, you know, who knows, but, uh, I don't think they made a mistake. I think this goes back to, um, you know, what I was talking about earlier tonight, if you were, um, you know, if you made it through to that, where, you know, you, you are utilizing that rookie contract almost to the fullest extent, and then you're making your decision after that, um, you know, versus just doing a blind extension and just you know, blowing up your cap down the line. Um, You know, his value has certainly gone up. But, you know, like I said, I don't think it's like he was going to settle for something beforehand. Um, You know, just as, you know, even if you want to say that he was not producing at the level you would have hoped for, you know, in prior years, just that top 10 status, getting to free agency, being you know, 26, 27 years old, you're going to get a team that's probably going to pay you. So, you know, I don't think, um, excuse me, that that was a, um, that that was an area where the Jaguars could have saved a lot of money. Let's put it that way. Um, So I I think that they are uh, perfectly fine in the way they approach that. Um, Let's see. I didn't miss anything here. I think that's all that junk. Yep. Uh, Colin, we did. Brian. Um, any thoughts on who might be getting traded before Tuesday? I like the Broncos and Chargers as sellers. So those are two teams that should be sellers. I don't know if the Chargers will be. Um, I think the Chargers are just going to try and chase and chase and chase because, again, where you talk about self-preservation mode. Uh, I don't think the Broncos are fire, They're certainly not firing their head coach. Um, so, you know, that, that would make sense for them to be traders, you know, trade away your receivers or whatever, um, you know, be sellers. But I, I don't know if they will be or won't be. Um, I'm not sure as to what the the Broncos thought process is in all this. Chargers absolutely should be sellers. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned this online, or maybe I mentioned the podcast. Uh, I'll tell you, the, the player that the Chargers should be selling is Joey Bosa. Um, if not now, then in the offseason. I still think you can get a lot for him, but I, I feel as if Bosa has hit that peak, is coming down from that peak, and you know the player that I compared it to is J.J. Watt who just hit a phase of his career where, you know, the body just kind of gives out on you and, you know, you, you probably aren't going to be healthy all the time and you might not be healthy at all. And I I think Joey Bosa has already entered that territory. And I, I think if you're the chargers, you got to look at that, that I don't think the rest of the league is probably catching up on that aspect yet. Um, I think the rest of the league will look at that and say he can be a dominant pass rusher. And you know, right now you might trade him and he'll be perfectly healthy and he will dominate for the rest of this year. Um, <clears throat> but you know, if you if you can get like a one and a three for him or a one and a two, um, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd do a two and a three. Maybe you would. Um, you know, I I would move him. Um, you know, I I think that that's, to me, that's a, uh, that's a prime candidate because you can really maximize a return um, on a player like that and, you know, get something for him. But the longer that you wait, the less of a return you're going to get. And, you know, there's too many times where he's not playing to where I think you can just say, yeah, he's good to go for, you know, the next two, three years. It's, Not going to happen. All right, I think that's all from that one. Um, So I had put out one more thing. Let's pull that one up. A couple more questions and we'll call it an evening. Stephen, what would you do for Klondike Bar? Not much. I don't like Klondike bars. Turn off the Jets blog. Uh, what are we looking at between tagging Becton versus Huff? Is it cheaper to tag one and extend the other due to the position? Um, man, I don't know why the Jets would tag Becton. Um, I I'll be honest. I I would let Becton walk. Um, he's a a walking injury. Um, I think the motivation is an issue. Um. You know, he really hasn't been that good. Um, I have him down at 5'8", um, you know, for this year. He's obviously playing a lot, but he's not great. Um, the jet, I know I have him listed at right tackle, and he's been playing the left side. The value reflects where he plays. Um, not what I have listed there, but... Uh, you know, the, the Jets have not been high on him um, since Sala came in. Um, I don't think they've been high on Beckton at all. I think he didn't like the way he played. I didn't think he liked the conditioning. Uh, there's a reason they moved him to the right side, um, you know, and they moved him back to the left out of necessity. So I don't think there's anything that Becton has done that would lead me to believe that they would tag him. Um, I think they would let him walk. And I think that's probably the right decision. Huff is much, much, much more interesting. Um, The Jets, let let, let me pull him up here. So he's going to get a lot of money in free agency. um, Just because some team is going to pencil him in as being a full-time player. Right now, he's still only playing like 35% of the snaps. Again, if you look at the way the Jets have utilized him, you know, even the last two years, it's just, it's not enough to justify, you know, paying him $20 million a season. Um, You know, if you're only willing to put somebody in in situations that are obvious passing downs, um and you have to pay somebody to play the other 65% of the snaps, you cannot justify paying twenty million dollars to um somebody who's gonna play thirty-five percent of the time. Because you know, you, you're gonna have to, to, to fill out those other snaps. If you're gonna look for a solid player, um that's going to make your investment at edge probably in the ballpark of 37 million you know you'd be spending say 20 on Huff 12 million on a prime replacement um, and then another 5 million for kind of your Jack of all trades guy who's going to do a bunch of stuff. Um, you know that that that's assuming that you sign somebody. Obviously, you can you can draft. You know, it does to me. It doesn't make sense with the way they utilize him. Um, you know, to go out of your way to extend him at those kind of dollar figures. Um, you know, if you're going to tag of the two, it, it's a. It's a tough call because it's one guy who, if he's healthy, is going to play all the time versus another guy who's a part-time, like barely a part-time player. Um, So, I don't know. You know, I think if I'm the Jets um, down the stretch, I need to give this guy more playing time. And I know his playing time has crept up a little bit more in the, the last couple of weeks. Uh, you got to give him more playing time. You have to see... Can you trust him to be on the field 60 to 65% of the time? If you can trust him to be on the field 60 to 65% of the time, Huff is the guy you tag. Huff is the guy you consider extending. Um, if you don't, if you, if this is the only role that you see for him, well, you know, there's a reason why you drafted a pass rusher this year. Um, you know, and Johnson has certainly been better his second year. Um, you know, you, you, you can consider maybe a tag-and-trade, uh, you know, if that option is out there. But I, I don't think you'd be looking to tag for any kind of long-term thing in there. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't tag Beckton at all. And I can't imagine the Jets would do that. Oliver, what can the Packers do with Bakhtiari? Uh, not much. That's a bad contract. You know that that's another example now that was probably an aaron Rodgers influence deal um but that's one of those you you rush into an extension for really no reason um you know they did that middle of the year and it's been a disaster it's been hurt every game since then um you know so next year i mean you cut him you know you, you save 21 on the cap 19 million dead you know it is what it is uh you know, it was just a, it was a major misfire by Green Bay on that one. Major misfire. Brian, uh, what do you think Huffle uh get in the open market? Edge franchise tag will be about 22. I think he gets 484 with around 50 guaranteed. But I think my fellow Jets fans think he's going to be closer to 15 per year. 21 million is in the Hendrickson range, uh, which is where he should be. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, you know, in the past, if you go back and you look at guys who have been kind of part-time players uh, with one team, they've basically gone for anywhere from 15 to $18 million a year. Um, you know, with the, the team that they're signing with, assuming that they're going to be full-time players and that their production will increase accordingly. 80% of the time, it probably does not increase accordingly, um, but maybe about 20% of the time it does. If we adjust where those numbers were in the past to where they would be now, yeah, I think that's what you're looking at is like twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two. 21, um, 22. I think he's too productive uh, as a situational rusher to settle for what would be the range that Lawson was at before, um, you know, which is that $15 million a year what you're talking about, you know, like... Uh, Lawson and Hendrickson were at that when, you know, they they were, you know, not as proven. Like, uh, so if we have Carl Lawson, yeah, just a waste to have him on the team at this point. But, um, you know, if we, we look back to see where he was, it was like he was a 40% player. The Bengals jumped him up to uh, 68, I guess it was, in his final year there. Um, you know, the productivity really didn't increase, right? Five and a half sacks versus five the year before. Um, There's our tackles for loss. You know, five and four. So I think they looked at that and they looked at the money that he was looking for. And I I believe those are where the numbers came from. Um, you know, I think they looked at that and they said, you know, it, it's not worth doing the, the extension. And I'm sure they offered him something. It's not like they didn't offer him anything. Um, but it was probably a little bit uh, on the lower end than what the Jets were going to do, so you know, I I think when you look at those numbers you can get an idea that they didn't see him as a full-time player, that they tried him as a full-time player, they didn't see it Um, you know, and so they jumped forward, so you know, they replaced him with Hendrickson I think in 21 let me make sure I got the year right on that, yeah, 21 sorry my voice is dying out here Um, So, you know, you go back to 20, you know, he got up to 53, um, you know, on his playing time, uh, his solo tackles doubled, Um, you know, his sack numbers obviously spiked way up, tackles for loss spiked way up, so I think if you're looking at this, you probably look at those spikes, and again, you know, everything is always a question mark. Um, you know when a guy just does it once, but I think they looked at this and they said that, okay, you know his numbers spiked when the Saints started to give him more of an opportunity. Lawson's did not. You know Lawson's increased a little bit, not not nearly enough. Um, if the money is going to be about the same, uh, you know this makes more sense for us, especially if we can get him on a deal that. Uh, is this is four. Yeah. His was a four-year deal, whereas Lawson only was going to do a three. You know, his Lawson's deal was more set up to be like, I'll play two years and I'm going to renegotiate again, you know, if things go well. Um, whereas Hendrickson's was, you know, going to give more um, more upside to the team. Now, obviously, they ended up extending him, but it's almost like a funny extension that it boosts the value of the player. but uh, And he's going to get a raise, but, you know, that that extension technically doesn't kick in for like two more years. So, you know, it's a, uh, I, I think that's kind of the thing. So, again, you know, circling back to the Jets deal, you know, if the Jets are not going to play him more, you can't justify paying that number. But I certainly think there's a team that will do that. Probably a couple teams. All right, Black Gold. Not that JD would pay early, but what's the AVT extension going to look like? Elton Jenkins ceiling, but playing time like Becton. You think you take a three forty and allow us to keep moving him around? Um, I wouldn't extend him. I. It, when you go two years with two injuries, and I know they might be fluke injuries, um, you have to be concerned about. Uh, you know what the what the long term is there, so you know in his case, uh, he's under contract for two more years. I think. Let me just see. Um, yeah, so he's under contract next year, I believe. In his case, now he's going to be a low, um, low option number because he's always hurt. So he's not going to hit any of the uh, I don't think he's going to hit any of the things. Um, let me see if we have the Let me see if we have the option projections. I'm not going to go based on the numbers. I'm just going to see where he's at. Yeah, so he's going to be your low um, 16 million ish. So I, I'm, I'm not going to throw this one in there. Uh, let's say it's anywhere from 13 to 17 million. I would pick it up. You know, I, I wouldn't be as afraid as I was with Beckton. Um, you know, cause I, I think in Beckton's case, there's a lot of issues with that creep up with conditioning and, um how invested he is in actually playing football. I don't think that's a concern at all with uh, Vera Tucker. I think it's more more just about the injury. I would, I would pick up his option. Um, I'd make him play next year, probably make him play out the option, and then I'd look to extend him. Um, I would not extend him if I thought it was cheap because I can get him for – I don't know, thirteen million a year, or fourteen million a year. Uh what's the number you suggested here? Uh three forty. No, I, I wouldn't I I don't think he'd necessarily go for that. Um <clears throat> but yeah, no, I wouldn't do that. You know, the the only way that I would extend him is if it was for a low amount with huge upside for playing time. Um You know, I, I think that, you know, as a Jets fan. Um, I think the Jets have to do some serious, serious, serious tinkering with their uh, offensive line in the offseason. Um, they need a, now maybe, maybe Tipman will slide over to center, uh, but they need a younger center. Um, yeah, it doesn't have to cost a lot, but they need a younger center. They need a left tackle. Um, they need a right tackle and they probably need at least one guard. Um, you know, I, I don't think you can count on him at all. Uh, so, you know, it is what it is. I Like I said, I wouldn't bail on him. I wouldn't... I would pick up that um, that option here, even though that injury risk is very high right now with him. Um, I, I would pick it up. And if he got hurt again, bang my head against the wall and go, you know, that one was a risk worth taking. Uh, unlike Becton, that was a risk not worth taking. Um... You know, but uh, I'd i make him play out the next two years. You know, that, that market doesn't improve or change that much. Um, you know, and where he's at right now... You know, as a guard... It's tough. You know, it's, it's tough to place him in somewhere even... Um, given where he's drafted the investment that Douglas has in him um, my assumption would be that they would look to strong arm the Jets in the 20 a year um you know, assuming he's healthy. I'm not, I'm not saying right right now. Um, but I I don't think they would look at him and say Jenkins is their upside. I think they would look at him as more like Lindstrom is their upshot, upside at 20.5. I think that's what Lindstrom is at, right? He's a right guard. Um, yeah, I think that's more what they would look like. Uh, look at um you know versus doing a lower deal i I think because of where he was drafted and the fact that you know quite frankly Douglas's drafts have sucked outside of those two or three players last year um you know they they've been terrible um you know the the couple of drafts that they've done have not been good um so you know a lot of times, General managers will try to, in a sense, over-inflate, you know, how their draft has been. Um, and I, I kind of think that that's what they might do, um, what the assumption would be here um, as to what would happen. So I, I think he would wait, but I, I think it would benefit the Jets to wait too, um, you know, and see what comes out uh, before they go from there. All right, let's see. Davey, uh, can I have some money? I think he asks this almost every week. And you can have some money, just not from me. I think that's my usual answer. Uh, let's see if I have anything else here. I think that's about it. Yep, I think that's it. So thank you uh, for the questions, everyone. One of these weeks, I don't know when it'll be. Maybe it'll be more towards the end of the season or in the offseason. You know, the early part of the off season, like, Team still in the playoffs one of these uh, days I'll, I'll try to do some kind of youtube live q a we'll do a late night one i'll get the cooler down here with the beer in it and we'll get some uh whatever is uh, the version of the course winter fest that exists now you can watch my reactions to that um and we'll we'll do one of those to keep that going but uh you know i i think those were uh, some good questions this week so uh let's see we come in at about two hours and 20 minutes not uh not too terrible so um hopefully i'll be back next week um i will do my best to uh come back next week um let's see what's coach prime is trending today i don't know what for I try to avoid all college stuff nowadays um i'll catch up on some things in a little bit see what things are at um so everybody enjoy the games this week uh I expect a big Jets win it should overwhelm the Giants. I, I think Jets two and a half favorites. Maybe they were That might've been early in the week. I don't know what it's at right now. I thought they would have been bigger favorites, to be honest. Um, Giants defense is okay. And, you know, maybe they can limit some of the Jets plays in the run. I, I would think the only reason that the spread was even that low is the fact that Jets offense just sucks so bad, but, I don't know. I just feel like they should be a a lot better than the Giants. So I think the uh, Jets will get a pretty big win. Hopefully so. I guess we'll see. If not, I'm sure I'll have uh, my Giants buddies uh, talking about them beating up on the Jets, which is, I don't know if that's really that big of a deal, but uh, we'll see. So everybody have a great week, and I will talk to you all again soon.